Hey, thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Here at Velocity, we love listening about how lives are changed through our church. So if that's you, please contact us at amen at findvelocity.org. Enjoy today's message. We are in the final installment of our series, Subscription Prescription, where we've been looking to God's Word to get the prescription for the negative thoughts that run through our mind. And If you are joining us for the first time, we are using the life of Moses as a picture on how to deal with these negative issues that seem to be reoccurring in our life. Now Moses, I don't know if you know anything about him, he was was conflicted. He was a great leader, used in a mighty way by God, but he had a lot of issues. And in fact, we see in his life many times he struggled to make the right decision, He, he failed to do the right things, and It's actually kind of encouraging to me because when I look at Moses, it helps me to see that, you know, God doesn't wait for you to get all your issues cleaned up before he begins to use you. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that if we're just willing to be submitted to God and his plan and the things he has for us, that God can do so much in our life. He can move in our life in a mighty way. We see that with Moses. Well, I want to kind of catch everybody up to speed on where we've been the first week Uh, really, I just tried to lay the foundation that this thought, your thoughts, they dictate and they determine your direction in life. We talked about a few different things, how your thoughts determine your direction, how they can either lead you to doubt God's call or they can lead you into God's call, all on how you think. And ultimately, we said that you don't have to let the dysfunctions, the past, the issues that have happened to define you, that there is freedom, that there is deliverance that's available for you in Christ. Now, last week, I gave you one step. I wanted you to see the main thing is that these thoughts, these negative thoughts, they don't have to control you, but you can actually control them. That God's given us an instruction, a prescription, if you will, to actually get a handle on these negative thoughts, that you can bring them into captivity, make them obedient to Christ. That's what it means to have the mind of Christ. Now today what I want to do is take it one step further, and this is probably the most important thing in this entire series. So if you don't get this, uh, it's like only getting half of the prescription that God's written for you. It's so important that you grasp this today. And what we're going to be looking at is this idea of, okay, what do, you, what do we do once we've taken hold, taken control, taken captive these negative thoughts? What, what do we do then? Well, to do that, I want us to go back to where we've been. We've been looking at the book of Acts to kind of serve as a template as we dive into the life of Moses. And in Acts chapter 7, we're going to pick up where we left off. Acts 7, this guy Stephen is giving a sermon, and he's using the life of Moses to get to his point, much like we are. And he's given a brief synopsis of Moses' life. And so in Acts chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 35, he talked about how Moses, he's seen the burning bush. He's had this dialogue with God. God has said, I'm going to send you to deliver my people. And then Stephen says, this Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. So if you've been paying attention, Stephen, 
He, he kind of breaks up Moses' life into three parts. He talks about the first 40 years of his life. He was in the palace, killed somebody's on the run. The next 40 years, he was in the wilderness, kind of on the run from God, hiding from God. And he says, these last 40 years of his life is the greatest years of his life. And that's where we're jumping in today, where God uses Moses to lead the Israelites out. And one thing I just want to say is that Moses is 80 years old before he actually starts out and does what God had created him to do. And I just want to tell you, you are not too old for God to use you. I mean, some of you, you may think like your best years are behind you, that the prime of your life is behind you. At 80 years old, Moses is just getting started with the very thing he was created to do. When most people are thinking about settling down, he's just getting started. So maybe that's for somebody today, but God can still use you. He wants to use you. And like most of you, I mean, I'm familiar with the story. I've seen the Ten Commandments. I've watched the Prince of Egypt. I've even seen gods and kings. You know, we, we know the details of this story. There's all these crazy plagues that happen, and uh, God uses that to lead them out into the land that he's promised them. But before they can get there, they make a pit stop at the Red Sea. And if by chance you're not familiar with the story, maybe you've never seen those movies, the good news is I'm going to give you some context as we go along because we're all learning together. And uh, Moses is leading these people out. You've got to understand, they've endured 430 years of backbreaking slavery, backbreaking labor. That's a long time. That means that not only were they slaves, but their parents were slaves. Their parents' parents were slaves. There's been generation after generation after generation of slavery. This is not just a, a period in their life. This has become a mindset for them where all they've ever known is slavery. All they've ever known is laborer. And so God, he, he wants to bring them out of this, but not just bring them out of slavery, but bring them out of this mindset. And you know, that's true for me and for you. A lot of us have lived so long with our dysfunction that we've never even considered that life could be different. We've lived so long with these issues. Thinking, like, you really don't have to be depressed about life. You really can have joy. You really can be excited about what God is doing. Like, life really can be different. That how it's always been isn't how it always has to be. That's the good news of the gospel. And we, we see that this conflict of what God has said versus the reality of what we're experiencing in the life of Moses. And we see it in particular in this story. So Moses goes to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh at the time, he's, he's the most powerful man in the known world. And Moses convinces him to let out these two million people and just walk out and leave. Now, convince is kind of a nice word because the, the plagues that he does, they're pretty morbid. I, I mean, like turning the Nile into blood, that's their water supply. That's just gross. Like, that's, that, that's disgusting. There's, there's gnats, there's frogs. I talked about some of that. There's all sorts of animals dying. They're, 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 that's one of the, the plagues. Animals die, livestock dies. There's hailstorms that come. There's boils on people. Like, it's just this crazy set of experiences, but he's finally got the people out of Egypt and on the road to freedom. And that's a picture of God's plan for us, to be free from the thoughts that have kept us bound, enter into God's best. That's, that's what the promised land represents. That's God's will. 
And I want to compare this picture of what's happening in Exodus with this New Testament truth that God wants to work in your life. And this is really the key today. It's in Romans 12 2. It's going to serve as our main scripture for today. Paul's writing, and he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, the culture that we live in is always trying to squeeze you into its mold. It's always trying to shape the way you think. And so many of us, we've lived with these patterns and these cycles of thinking for so long that it becomes really hard to break out of it. But God wants to bring you out of this old way of thinking and into a new way of thinking. He calls it renewing your mind, thinking like God thinks, having the mind of Christ. In fact, I would say it this way. So many times what we do is we're renewing the subscription, going over all the issues in our head, but God wants us to renew our mind. So that's what I want to do, what I want to talk about as we get into this is how to renew our mind. That's the key today. And I got to set this up for you. Instead of playing the negative, head, negative thoughts in our head, God wants us to renew our mind. Using this as a framework today, and this is the title of my message. I know that's a long introduction before I've even prayed. You know it's going to be a good sermon with a long introduction. But uh, here's the title, Making Headway. Making Headway. How many of you like to make progress? You like to make progress? Well, God wants you to make progress, not just in life, but he wants to move you into a new mindset. I'm calling that making headway today. Let's pray. Let's ask for God's help, and we'll get into God's word. God, thank you so much for your truth and for your word. Lord, I'm asking that you would speak through me today. God, use me to declare your truth, to declare your promises, to declare the reality of what it means to be in you, to be raised to life in Christ, Father. Believe that you will. God, I ask right now that uh, as everybody's in here, Lord, I know that a lot of times we bring in our own baggage, our own ideas, our own mindsets that keep us blocked from receiving what you have for us. And so, God, I'm asking that whatever barriers, whatever walls would be up, that, that those would be brought down right now, that your word would, would pierce people's hearts and speak directly to their situation, Father. Thank you that you will. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agrees with that can say amen. Hey, how many of you... Um, if you could, like you have one task, it's, it's part of your weekly routine, maybe it's a daily routine for you that, that if you could just eliminate it from your life, you would. You know what I'm saying? Like, like maybe for some of you, it might be yard work, all right? Like just a regular, like it's a regular part of the, you know, just life. Maybe it's, it's raking leaves, mowing lawns, uh, weed eating or, or, or weeding your garden, whatever it could be. Just, you know, it's, Something that's necessary, but you wish you could remove it. It could be laundry, right? I mean, that would probably be it for my wife. It seems like she's doing laundry every day with a household of six and uh, her need to always use a fresh towel. Uh, there is like an endless amount of laundry in our house, and, and I'm sure she would eliminate that. Uh, you know, it could be making all sorts of things that, you know, I think we all have one thing that if we could just, like, find a way to delegate it or eliminate it, like, they're just, it's not pleasant. I would say for me, if I had to pick one thing in my life, at this point in my life, it would probably be putting my kids to bed. Now, before you start thinking I'm a heartless father, uh, I need to let you know, like, right up front, like, listen, I, I love my kids. I love being a dad. I just love them more when, I'm, when they're sleeping. That, that's the truth. Um, 
because like bedtime, it's such a big deal. Like it is out of control. And if you're not a parent, you just don't get it. Like you just don't understand what, it is a whole system, a whole series of steps and they each have to be done sequentially because if you go out of order, like it throws the whole thing off the rails. And I mean, at my house, it starts with just even the mention of bedtime. Like, it's just the mention of bed. It is like a reenactment of the scene from The Hunger Games. They're all, like, thinking, okay, which one of us is going to be sacrificed first? Because when you say it's time to get ready for bed, what they hear is it's time to get ready to die. That is the thought <laughs> that goes through their head. And I don't even know where to begin in listing the steps. I've tried to think through them as I was going to tell you. Because, I mean, you could start with dinner time. That's a whole ordeal. But if we just skip that, and just go straight, okay, like bath time, right? Like bath time at my house involves nudity. With, like, with Oliver and Grant, I mean, even the, despite the fact that I bring their pajamas into the bathroom, their idea of bath time is running around the house naked and making me chase after them uh, to either catch them to put them in the bath or to like catch them to dry them off. It's just an air dry kind of thing. And, and uh, then when we finally get to pajamas, it's like, Dad, I can't put my pajamas on. I'm like, you have two legs. Your pajamas have two legs. Figure it out, son. Like, life is going to be hard for you if you can't get a handle on this. And, you know, so there's, there's, there's bath time, there's pajamas, and there's brushing the teeth, which if I'm honest with you, when Marissa's out of town, we just skip this one because, I mean, it's, they're going to fall out anyway. I mean, it's like, I'm thinking, the whole time I'm doing this, I'm like, this is a waste of my time. Why are we doing this? So you go to bath time, Pajamas, brush teeth, bedtime snack in there somewhere. And it's like, that's always after brushing the teeth. I don't even understand that. Finally get them up to bed. You've got to get the, white, the, the, the right equilibrium of like light to dark ratio. You got to, you know, maybe it's a nightlight or maybe it's like cracking the closet, you know, closet light on and cracking the door. It's got to be just right. And then it, the right temperature, right? So in, in my house, it's like having blankets on, having shirts off and all, all this stuff that's going on. And like, then that's not it, because you think, man, this is, this is involved. That has to, no, because see, then there's story time and prayer. And, and truthfully, story time's even optional at this point, because like I've read the same story about 15 gazillion times to them. I'm like, how, you, like you know the ending. How many more times are we going to go through this? And so I'm like, okay, kids, what do you want, an entertainment or the blessing of the Lord? Choose wisely. Uh, remember, you are a pastor's son. So we're going through this. And you think, okay, that's it. That, that's the, it's, you shut the door. And it's at that moment you finally feel like you can live again. I, I think it's almost like being born again in your heart when you finally shut the door. And you think, okay, I get that's a lot. That's not it. That's not it. Because it's precisely at that moment, at that moment when you feel like it's finished, that you get the cry for a drink of water. And I've tried like different things. Like, like I've tried, like at this point, I'm like, Marissa, you got to go deal with them because if I go deal with them, we're going to have one less child when we're done. Like you've got to go in there. And she, she, you know, she'll go in, but I've tried different things. I've like, okay, we'll just let them cry it out. That doesn't work. They just keep crying. The worst part is when I finally do get them a drink of water, it's like, thanks dad. Like just one sip. It's like, it's just really delaying. But this cry, this cry for help. It's, uh, it's hard for me to even imagine, put into words, what that's like. Like, it's so emotional, so much pressure. That, that's really the way all, all the pressure is in our life. Uh, it's personal to us. But I bring that up because when I look at this story, I kind of think the same way I feel about my kids in bedtime is the same way Moses must have felt about the Israelites. Because it's like, 
after all God has done to bring them out, there's all these steps. He's been through so much. There's 10 different plagues. There's getting them to believe that God is in, they've seen God's hand at work. All these things have happened and they're finally out of Egypt. And you're like, okay, we're done. We're going to the promised land. And then what do you know? They're crying out again. Only this time they want to go back. And this is where I want to jump into the story. Because see, in, in Exodus chapter 14, God is giving Moses some specific instructions into how this is supposed to play out. And, you know, in our mind, it doesn't seem like it's the best course of action. God, God's bringing them out, but Pharaoh's going to pursue them. Let's take a look at it in Exodus 14. I'm going to start in verse 1 and then skip down to verse 10. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi, I'm just going to say Pi, which that would be a great name for a city, just Pi. I want to go there. But between Migdal and the sea, they are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. And Pharaoh will think, hey, the Israelites are wandering around in the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I'm going to gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I'm the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Verse 10 says, now as Pharaoh approached... The Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified and cried out, Water, Dad, we... No, they said, Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? These same people that have been crying out for over 400 years crying out, God deliver us. They're crying out again, only now it's to go back. And I talked about this conflict a little bit last week, this, this conflict within us where we know that there's some things that we wanna do, but it seems like whenever opposition comes, whenever a little bit of difficulty comes, we wanna go back to our old way, or, or we do the thing that we don't wanna do and, and we don't understand it because it's so much easier to just be comfortable with what we're familiar with, with what we've always known. And this is how we think with our negative thoughts. Just like, just like the Israelites are in this situation, we do the same thing. We'd rather warm up with the wrong thoughts than to get out from under the covers of what we've always cuddled up with and find a new way to think. We say we want to change. We say we want our life to be different, but Sometimes, you know, like we say we want to break the cycle of self-pity, but the only way we've ever dealt with self-pity is to feel sorry for ourselves. And so we don't know how to act any different. That's how we've always dealt with disappointment, is to feel sorry for ourselves. We say we want joy in our life, but anytime frustration comes, the only response we know is to complain. And so we don't really know how to act differently. We see this happening with the Israelites. that They say they want to be free, but now a little opposition comes and they want to go back. And you can get so used to living a certain way that when God actually comes along to elevate you, to move you into a new season, you don't even want the promotion. And so for 430 years, they've been crying out to God. They've watched as God has worked through Moses. He's done these mighty acts. He's done so much to deliver them and bring them out. And God, God hardens Pharaoh's heart to the point where he finally releases them. It's a crazy story because they don't just come out, but the Bible actually says that the Egyptians gave them all their gold. I don't even understand how that's possible. God was definitely like, they're not going out empty-handed. 
And yet, they can't move past this mindset. They're walking out after all these years of slavery, slavery, and now they find themselves between the Red Sea, they can't move forward, and behind them is this enemy that they thought God had delivered them from, coming up, coming back. And you know, that's a truth that I wanna to illustrate today. And here's the bad news about it. I'll get the bad news out of the way first. Is that the negative thoughts are not gonna stop coming. They're not gonna stop coming. You'll, you'll never have a point in your life where you have to stop fighting this battle. The impulses of insecurity will never stop poking at your confidence. The forces of fear will never stop pushing against your dreams. The dread of discouragement is never gonna stop draining you of energy from your assignment. Negative thoughts aren't gonna stop coming. And I, I kind of thought of it this way. I don't know if anybody else has had this happen to them, but in, four, in my 14 years of marriage with Marissa, we've moved four different times, two different states, four different houses. And what's crazy to me is there have been two magazines that have followed us to every address. Has anybody else had this happen to them or is this just unique to us? Now I'm telling you, we have never given these magazines money. We have not uh, subscribed to these magazines. We've never even given them our future address, but somehow or other, they have haunted us down, big brother, and are finding out our house and they keep sending us new magazines. And here's the, here's, here's the point that I have for you is the issues are not gonna stop coming. <laughs> but, the issues are not gonna stop coming, but you don't have to subscribe to them. The issues are not gonna stop coming in your life, but you don't have to subscribe to them. And so, I bring that up because as you're putting into practice these things we're talking about, you need to know that this is not a one and done. This is not a one-time decision. When we're talking about last week, get a handle on it. And Moses, he, he gets a handle on stuff. You, you take these thoughts. You make them obedient to Christ. You take them captive. This is not a one-time thing. You need to do it every time those thoughts come into your life. Every time that issue arises, every time that negative thought creeps into your mind, you need to get a handle on it, take it captive, make it obedient to Christ. Every time those issues come into the mailbox of your mind, you need to check the return address and find out where is this thought coming from? Is this coming from God or is it coming from some other place? Now, here's the point though. I find it interesting that throughout Moses' life, God kept telling him to use his staff. He kept telling him to raise your staff, take your staff, put it in your hand. I think it's a picture of the fact that this is not a one-time thing for him either. Every time there was an issue, God told him to get a handle on his staff because you're gonna to have to keep dealing with these. Now the good news is you can win, but it's not just one time. And so the Israelites, this is what we see in our story, they thought they had left this enemy behind, but they're looking back and they see their past catching up with them. And I wanna make sure you understand what's going on here because this is not like some little skirmish. This is not like the Egyptians are coming to fight them and you know, the Israelites are ready for battle, so they're gonna fight them and they're gonna win. No, this is certain and impending doom for them. Death and destruction. 
There is no hope in this situation. And so it's understandable why they're nervous. It's understandable why they're scared. But here's what I want to point out to you, is that heaven's perspective is so much different than our perspective. Because if you remember, God said something to Moses that the rest of these Israelites didn't have the privilege of hearing. God said to Moses, hey Moses, I didn't bring the Israelites out here to kill them. I brought the Israelites out here to put an end to their enemies. In other words, saying, Moses, this is a setup. But if you didn't know that, you'd respond just like the rest of the Israelites did. Now, I want to show you how they responded. They said, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So they're complaining. And now Moses, he's got a problem on his hands because the peop, two million of them are in an uproar. And so Moses does what every good parent does when their kids aren't behaving. He gives them a lecture. At least that's how it was in my house. He, he, he launches in uh, to this speech. And even if you've never been to church before, you've probably heard these verses or seen these verses somewhere. I want to read it to you, 13 and 14. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you say, see today, you will never see again. Now, now, this is a powerful moment. I mean, I kind of picture it like this is William Wallace and Braveheart. It's like, you know, do you want to die or do you want to, you know, live just one day with freedom? He's like, you know, shouting that. I don't know. But that's kind of how I picture it. And you know, like when he's saying this, he's saying like, God, please back me up on this. Because he has no idea how this is going to play out. Like, I know you know the story. You know how this is going to end. But sometimes you got to see yourself in the Bible. He doesn't know yet how this is going to play out. He doesn't know what's going to happen next. He's just saying, God, I know you said come here, so I'm expecting you to do something. And he's trying to speak his faith out. And so he says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Now, that's encouraging, Right? That's powerful, right? How many of you like that? How many of you think like that's God's word for you today? You're going to write that down. You're going to put it on a plaque. You know, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's good. But it's also wrong. It's wrong. Look, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but watch what happens next. Moses just, he says this, and then in the very next verse, God gives a counter opinion. He says, why are you crying out to me? Now, if you've never seen that before, it maybe it strikes you as odd because we so often think like God's going to fight our battles for us. The Lord will fight. Like that's, that's the verse we grab hold of. Because like, look, why, why are you looking at me? Why, why are you crying at me? He says, tell the Israelites to move on. Okay, now I'm confused. This doesn't make any sense to me. First of all, God, you're the one who told them to go there in the first place. You understand there is a body of water in front of them called the Red Sea. Behind them is this army that wants to kill them. If they could move on, they would move on. But apparently they can't. So what are you saying, God? Well, maybe it's because... God is telling them to move on in their mindset. They're saying, I want to go back to Egypt. It was better back there. 
I would rather live as a slave than die here in the desert. And he's saying, I want to bring about a victory. But before I can, you need to move on in your mindset. This represents moving on in their mentality. See, for 430 years, all they've been is slaves. All they've ever known is slavery. Their dads were slaves. Their grandpas were slaves. Before that, they were slaves. They'll always be slaves. This is all they've ever known. But before God could take them to a new place, he has to take them to a new mindset. And I notice that you and I do the same thing. We're standing still lots of times when God is telling us to move on. God, help me deal with this lust. God, God just, just help me, like, take this lust away from me. God, help me not to worry. God, could, could, could you help me stop worrying? God, God, help me not be depressed. Free me from discouragement. God, help me not have anxiety in this situation. We're asking God to do something for us, and we're standing still, and God's telling us to move, to move on in our mindset. Now, as I look at this passage of Scripture, I've always seen this Red Sea encounter as God setting up the Egyptians for defeat. But as I studied a little more closely, I see that really what he was doing was setting up the Israelites to move on in their mindset. Because if you go back to the previous chapter, there's this verse that, I don't know, maybe you don't pay much attention to in Exodus 13, 17. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. Now hold up a minute. You're telling me, that after 400 years of slavery, there was a shorter route into the promised land and God didn't take them there? I mean, what's, what's going on? Why wouldn't you take them there, God? But see, he knew that there were some battles that they would have to fight that they weren't ready to fight yet. And if he took them there, they would turn back. And so God says, look, I'm not measuring progress by how fast we get there. I'm measuring progress by are we making headway? Are we moving in our mindset? Are you still seeing yourself as a slave? Are you moving into seeing yourself as a settler? We've got some, some issues that we gotta deal with and, and I need you to move in your mindset. So he leads them the long way, not because he's holding out on them, but because he wants to take his people through some stages of preparation. And this cracks me up because that same verse, it says, the Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle, but they weren't. They had barely left Egypt. And the first sign of opposition, they're ready to head back. They're ready to go back to their old way of lifestyle. And so making headway means sometimes we're gonna have to fight. Progress means you're gonna have to deal with this issue again and again and again. You're gonna have to deal with it and just the thought of that can be draining. So God had to put them in a position where even though they wanted to change their mind, even though they wanted to go back, they couldn't. And so I said to Moses, hey, you should take us back. We were better off back there. And Moses is like, God, you gotta do something about this. And God says, Moses, I already have. It's called you. 
you've got to do something about this. And then, then he gives them some instruction. He says, he starts describing us exactly how he's going to do this. He says, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea. He says, raise your staff and stretch it over. Stretch, stretch it over what's blocking you. Stretch it over what's in your way. You know, I just think this is even a good practice. Like when we come in and worship and we're singing praise to God to just lift our hands and just imagine that we're stretching our hands over what's in front of us, over those things that seem like they're in opposition to us, over those things that want to take us out, over those things that, that keep us from moving forward. And he says, raise your staff and stretch it over. Because he, he, he's wanting to, to get them to the point. See, it's one thing to come out of a situation. It's another thing to get over a situation. It's one thing to come out of a bad relationship. It's another thing to get over a bad relationship. It's one thing to get free of some negative thoughts, but it's another thing to get over some negative thoughts. And he says, look, I, I don't just want to get you out of Egypt. I want to get you over Egypt. And there's only one way I know to get over something, and that's to go higher. If you want to get over something, you got to go higher. And so he says, raise your staff and stretch it over. It kind of made me think about what Paul said, because Paul wrote about this. He put it this way. He says, look, if you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on the earth. So you gotta understand that the resurrection is not just a miracle. It's a mindset. It's a mindset. It's a mind set above. A mind set where God is. It's when you realize that if you've been raised with Christ, Christ who is seated at the right hand of God over every principality, over everything that seems to have it's hold on you. He's over that. If you've been raised to life with him and seated with him, then what business do you have thinking on this level? You know, God says, as high as the heavens are from the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. He's saying, look, the, the, the way that you've been thinking for so long is so contrary to the way God thinks, to the way he sees things. That's what it means to have a renewed mind, to have the mind of Christ, to have a mind that thinks like God thinks above your situation. So what do you got to do? If you're going to get out, you got to get over it. You got to set your mind above. I want to go back to our main scripture, Romans 12 too, but I want to look at it in a different translation. It says this, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Fix your attention on God. I almost called this sermon, the fix is in. Because the remedy to your issues, the remedy to your way of thinking is all about where you fix your attention. It's all about where you set your mind. Are you going to set your, are you going to dwell on these things that are causing you issues? The truth is, if you can worry about something night and day, if you can worry about something all day, you can meditate on God's truth all day. 
It's all about how you set your mind. It's all about what you choose to think about. That's what we see. <laughs> he says, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. It's up to you to set your mind. So he says, raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. So see, this is a setup for them to change their mindset, for them to make some real progress, for them to make some headway. Because even just one step in the right direction, it represents a move in their mindset. And so that's how I want to close this today, is I want to encourage you to take one step in the right direction. What is that thing, that thought, that discouragement, that frustration, that anxiety, that insecurity? It keeps coming into your life. You keep focusing why I'm not good enough, why nobody likes me, why my life sucks, why I'm so irritated, why I'm so frustrated. What would happen if you said, oh, I'm going to I'm going to set my mind on what God has said, what God has said about me, that, that I'm called by him, that he loved me so much that he sent his son to die for me, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You, you start getting into God's word, seeing what he says about you, how he thinks about you. You begin to align your mind with that. That's what it means to renew your mind, to set your mind. If you've been raised with Christ, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are of this earth. That's how you make some headway. And that's the step I want you to take today.